welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. <laughs> I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm good. I'm a little bit startled. <laughs> now, why is that? Um, because normally uh, when I hit play and point at you that, mm-hmm. that we were, or hit record and point at you that we're ready to go, you take a moment. I don't know if you're like consult yeah. like balancing your chi or something about a chakra that's a thing that i've heard sure. um but usually i like you sort of sink and you clear your throat and then you then you explode but this yeah. time you were johnny on the spot with that hello so and you it know took what i surprise uh i jumped right in and and i panicked for a moment because it's just like you don't know if you've got the breath for this you don't know uh-huh, like uh-huh. you haven't cleared your throat what if your throat uh, what if your voice cracks as you're saying hello what are you doing but you know what david i like to take risks in this life and that was one of them and i think it paid off yeah I, uh, yeah it, it gave us something to talk about at least a- absolutely because <laughs> we <laughs> cuz we are out of things to talk about yeah but one thing that will never run well I mean, we might not have reason to call, to talk about our sponsor if they stop sponsoring us, but we don't need to worry about that for at least another four months. Um, and that is <laughs> uh, movie. This episode is brought to you by them, David. Uh, Love it these is, guys. Here's what they are. All right, so listen up. It's a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, movies curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Among the great films to watch, David, I'm excited. Me too. Is Hitoshi Matsumoto's Big Man Japan. Have you seen this film? No, but I love the name. Okay. Uh, when they, uh, when, when the, the sponsor emailed and said like, Hey, here's some movies that, that you could talk about. Uh, I responded with, Oh boy, an opportunity to talk about big man, Japan. It came out in 2007 and I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about it cause I don't want to overhype it. I don't think that's possible, but, um, it's, it's this it's a crazy ass movie where there's this guy who is a normal sized person but he comes from a, a long line of of guys who uh who can grow to the size of Godzilla basically and defend <laughs> Tokyo from monsters and it's about his daily life and he's kind of a hero but people also just kind of make fun of him um and then the monsters themselves are they're like a they're like third stringers uh as far as the was it kaiju is that is that what they're called sure i think so and uh like there's one that's just a leg that's just bouncing up and down with uh, a sad face and i think a comb over um so stuff like that and he has to grow to this immense size and then he just has like a, just a club or just not even a club, it's like a stick like a daredevil stick and it hits him with that it's very funny but there's also a tremendous sadness and and in the end the film turns out to be this fascinating uh allegory about the relationship between japan china and the united states uh it's crazy wow. big man japan it's available at movie right now seek it out and then i didn't write this i i forgot to write this down but this is something that they are pushing for the month of december which is 
the movie of the day, which is the the day that a, a movie shows up, you can watch that movie for free for that day. Now, once it's once it's been out for a couple of days, then you have to sus- subscribe to watch it. But the day it comes out, that's the day you can watch it for free. So they're that's they're fun. pushing that for December so that you can you can uh, get a general sense of of who movie is and the kind of movies that they're putting out there. So uh, and also on top of that, uh, once you decide that you do want to subscribe, uh, you're a listener of Battleship Pretension. So there's a special offer for you. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash battleship to redeem now. I love it. Big man, Japan. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to say. Now, we have a fun topic to get to that I'm looking forward to. Okay. But you um, you had something else on your mind. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm not super passionate about it, but something that strikes me as interesting. Um, we were talking in the, uh, in the uh, movie journal about 35 millimeter at the new Beverly. And we were talking about, which got me thinking about the Quentin Tarantino's purest tendencies when it comes to, you know, film as opposed to digital and then 35 and sometimes 70 millimeter. And I was reading this article and I wish I, I was not planning on bringing this up today. Um, but you mentioned it and it got me thinking about it. Um, so I don't have the article in front of me, but there was apparently recently, a disastrous critic screening of the hateful eight. Oh, okay. I think I heard something about this and that is because it was disastrous because, um, and I, I don't, I didn't look uh, to see what screening room it was, but that they were not prepared for 70 millimeter. Okay. And so the first half of the film, um, just didn't look right. There were certain things that were going in and out of focus and they just didn't, and it just stayed that way. And then they had to just switch to digital projection um, because they, they just couldn't figure out how to work with the 70, 70 millimeter print. And so this article was talking about that that could actually be a very, very bad thing. Yeah. Especially for hateful eight, but also for just, it could be, it's, it's sort of, one could say it's a, a harbinger of things where there are filmmakers that, that really want to cling to this, but they might be clinging to it to the detriment of their own film because you can't control, you can't control every movie theater and you can't, con- you can't make sure it like it could be an arc light where they, they take pride in this sort of thing. But at the same but even time, there, an arc light, this is like, uh, the, the idea of projectionist being a job, like projectionist used to be a union job. Yes, it did. Uh, and that's almost not the case. I don't know if that's the case anymore anywhere. I mean, our, our client is not a union, uh, yeah, place. This, the, uh, this article mentioned that, that uh, yeah, and it I used mean, to be a, something that somebody took pride in. Yeah. And so having, I don't know how many theaters, a hundred theaters or whatever, uh, with these projectors where you have people who have the, pro- the projectionists are probably young people who work their way up from concession stand. Right. Yeah. yeah. These are not, uh, trained professionals like it used to be working now with, uh, an older and unfamiliar technology. Right. Yeah. You could potentially have a lot of, um, uh, a lot of problems. I mean, you and I had a problem, um, this going back more than a decade, but, uh, 
when the first time we saw Lawrence of Arabia in 70 millimeter at the music box, there was a hiccup. I don't think I remember that. Uh, because, um, I think people who know more about projection, um, could tell me if this makes sense, but I believe when he, the, with the switch from one reel to another, it was not the anamorphic lens was not on. So suddenly the picture went from being right to being way huger than the screen. Yes. Okay. And yes. they had to stop and, and get the lens on the projector. Wow. I forgot about that completely. And now that you mention it, yeah, it's wow. That's crazy. I remember that night just being like one of the best moving going nights I've ever had. Uh, even with that hiccup, yeah. even with that hiccup, which, which re- was completely removed from my memory. But, um, yeah. And so it's just something that that's interesting because, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm some kind well, I regularly feel like I'm a fraud, but, sure. uh, but Real. one of the, one of the ways in which I feel that is because is, is that I, I don't care much about the film, the film thing. Um, I, I mean, I yeah. care. I mean, it, this it, is, uh, we're getting into the ter- territory that could be its own episode. Uh, no and question about it. And, and oh, probably before I forget, be. this okay. has nothing to do with anything that I just don't want to not uh, remember. Yes. Last week you made a movie reference. We didn't say what it was from. We said, if you can email us and let us know, what that's from, you will get an attaboy from us. I have forgotten. So, the, Oh, okay. You no, said, I'm a regular person. That's right. Uh, and Joe Zaragoza, attaboy oh, nice. yeah. for knowing that's from A Lifeless Ordinary, mm. the Danny Boyle film. Danny Boyle's forgotten film, essentially. Yeah. That was the one that no one remembers that he made. And is said um, by the wonderful... Wonderful and late character actor, Maury Chaikin. That's right. Um, whom Neil Young looks more and more like every day now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, he uh, is an oddball. Yeah. And, uh, Ewan McGregor very kindly refers to him as regular person. And he replies in the affirmative. He's like, that's right. I'm regular. I'm a regular person. <laughs> uh, what were we saying? Oh yes. Sorry. Um, yes. So, good yeah, job. Thanks yes. Joe. Um, so what I was saying is that, uh, yeah, and it, it absolutely, it absolutely could be. And one could say should be it's, uh, uh, it's own episode. But what I'll say is, is, um, I care about, you know, film versus digital insofar as if a, if a director wants, if he prefers to work here, he or she prefers to work in film. Great. If that is a, a, an important thing to them, if they think that is the best possible way to see their film, marvelous. I can very seldom tell the difference. Um, I mean, I saw the nice 70 millimeter print of the master, uh, at a midnight show at the arc light. It looked beautiful. Yeah. Then I watched it on blu-ray and it looked beautiful. Like it just, <laughs> it looked great in both ways. And, um, and so, and that's probably my own ignorance, but, but my, where the concern really comes in and that's what partially, partially what this article was about, um, is that when you, when a director clings to this, this old way of doing things, which I have no problem with. I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that they need to get with the times or anything like that, but it could pose a problem to their film being seen in the best possible way. Like they're doing it because to them, this is the best possible way to see. It's like, that's all well and good, but not everything's the new Beverly where you actually have direct control over it. Um, and I feel like it could be, it could be really bad and it could, I don't know. It could, uh, be, it could mean bad things for the hateful eight, certainly, which, which is also going to, you know, take it on the road. 
right? Yeah. Uh, but then also just for just for movie movies being shot on film in the future, I could see this turning into an argument on on the part of the studio and exhibitors that yeah we're not doing this anymore because we don't have the training for it we don't have the facilities yeah. for it so just don't just stop doing it i see what you're saying yeah I, I, and i'm i'm generally with you in that i'm not a purist um but as someone who is very interested in archiving mm-hmm. see, this is the thing i'm not a right, purist yeah. when it comes to presentation you know because i i grew up watching stuff on vhs so i like that's not a high resolution and it was usually pan and scan yeah so like i'm okay with uh the experience suffering a little bit if that's how i'm able to see the movie Mm -hmm. you know but when it comes to archiving it's a very different thing Mm -hmm. and so i still understand the impulse to shoot on 35 or 70 because you're getting more information in a frame than you would even shooting 4k. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, especially with 70. Um, but you, to me, that's all going to be all, all the effort you've put in to shooting on film and the expense you've made shooting on 35 or 70. If it's then being stored as a, you know, DCP or in, in some sort of digital format, all that work is going to to waste. You need if you're if you're Quentin Tarantino, I'm sure he is because he's Quentin Tarantino. But most directors don't have this pull. Yeah. If you have the influence, make sure your film is being archived hmm. on 35 or 70. That's what's important because we don't. We know from experience that 35 millimeter film kept in the right conditions will last at least 100 years and probably more. We know that now. We don't know what's going to happen to this data yeah. over time, how it's going to corrupt uh, and things are going to be lost. And f- for financial reasons, studios are just not archiving on film any- anymore. They're not keeping their stuff yeah. uh, on film. And that is dangerous for future generations of cinephiles. Hmm. So I very much believe in 35 millimeter as an archival format. Yeah. I don't get too precious about presentation. Yeah personally yeah that's interesting and i and i and it's yet another aspect of film that i just don't even think about um and i mean you know i i wish i could be somebody and to go back to the creative decision to shoot on 35 or 70 um i wish i could be somebody that gets really excited about that you know i'm i'm usually excited because it means the director got his way um and if he got his way in this he probably got his way in another a number of other ways um but But, that's that's kind of where it ends for me there are certain things like i know i've been to rep screenings of like i remember when i saw all the all the president's men i remember when i saw shaft like a a dvd would have been people get so purist. I don't even know if I can use the word better. Like I've seen 35 millimeter projections Mm -hmm. that where the print was in bad enough shape that if it had been a DVD, it would have been a better experience. Uh, you know? Um, but uh, I think there are some people who feel like, well, 35 millimeter is always, always preferable. But I feel, I also feel like those people maybe don't, have the depth or nuance of, uh, of information that some 
person has because just because you're seeing something on a 35 millimeter doesn't mean it's true to the original. You have no idea, especially if it's an older film, yeah. how many generations of copies it's been to or, or, or what kind of, um, uh, restorations have done that have maybe changed right. uh, the, the the color scheme, the you know the color timing, all, all this stuff. You don't know. You cannot assume that just because something is being uh, projected from thirty five millimeter that it is closer to the director's um, initial vision than something you're watching on Blu ray. Yes, and, I and, think, and the, yes, the opposite I think, is true too. By the way, sure, like, absolutely. You, you just you you can't hold to the idea, especially with older films, you can't hold the idea that there's some way of seeing it most correctly. Things change over time. Yeah. Well, and, and that's to go back to that idea, cause that's uh, something I was thinking about that, that idea of filmmakers intention, which is, well, I'm pretty sure the the filmmaker, when they made the film, wanted you to see it, uh, without this scratch down the middle. Uh, <laughs> right. They probably didn't want which which was acquired on this particular print over time. Right, uh, not everybody. The, the warping that causes the uh, soundtrack to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure which they is didn't called want that among people who know that kind of thing. It's called motorboating, but that has Ugh. that term has another meaning. <laughs> but because it does sound like <laughs> it sounds like a motorboat engine, that's what uh, it's called. And this is and this is where I I worry that I'm going to get a little bit dismissive. But what I'm going to say is, you know. It's the same thing that made me that bothered me so much about Grindhouse, um, the the movie slash experiment, um, which is there are people who romanticize things so much, right? And they romantic, but the, but they're romanticizing not even the thing itself, but their feeling about that thing, yeah. you know. And it's just it's, the idea of with with Grindhouse, it was was oh do you remember back when you'd see these movies and like uh, a reel would be cut or a section would be cut out because uh featuring like nudity or something because the projectionist wanted that for himself and it's like yeah people didn't like that yeah. the director didn't want it people didn't like it you are romanticizing it because you ha- you now are this evolved filmmaker and you're th- and film lover and you think <laughs> back on that as like very formative in your life that's fine nobody wanted that yeah yeah uh, it's it's the same thing as like um uh, bands putting out stuff on cassette now. That's just nostalgia I mean, and fetishism. That's not, but that's like, at least the band making that decision. I see what you're saying. You know? yeah. Um, but like, there's a reason people like vinyl, you know, that sure. is a full warm sound that you don't get from an MP3 or even from a CD. Generally, yeah. there's a, there are like, audio file reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> to prefer vinyl. There's no good reason to prefer cassette except for either you're nostalgic or you are a young person who is like fetishizing some idea of the past or so, some objects of the past. Yeah. And, and that, that isn't even yours. And even past. then, like there's an audio file to, there's an audio file reason to prefer vinyl. There's a cinephile reason to prefer 35 millimeter. But if you have a record that's been horribly scratched and it's going to keep you from listening to it the way it was meant to be listened right. to. Yeah. Then listen to the, the CD. Then listen to the CD. Yeah. So anyway, uh, right. that is not the conversation I was anticipating having, but there we are. Um, but that was a fun, fun conversation. Absolutely. And I would like to 
I, I want to get a purist on the show and do a real discussion, do yeah. a real episode about, yeah. um, but then they're going to talk circles around us because they'll be able to talk about like technical specifications. Well, I know some of that me, stuff. Not, uh, yeah. You can hold your own. I can hold my own when it comes to the broadest possible discussion <laughs> like we just had. All right. Um, Real quick, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go uh, if you know what you're doing in your life. That's where you go for professional quality earbuds uh, in a variety of uh, stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great and they sound great, and they're available at a low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you uh, put in the extra effort and at checkout use the offer code pretension you'll get one third off that already low low price and no shipping charges so go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension okay it's time to commit 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks just order your at-home impression kit today for only 14.95 at bite.com Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Now, um... This conversation came from what? Uh, did it come from Creed? It came from Spectre. And then it oh, was okay. confirmed by Creed okay. uh, when I saw it uh, like a w- uh, two weeks later. And we talked about it either on a past regular episode or a past movie journal a little bit. Right? It was a movie journal. It yeah. was a movie journal. You, you teased that you wanted to talk about this. So we are going to talk about what? We are going to talk about long takes. Oh, can I get up on my little like... I knew it was coming, but yes, go ahead. Well, because it just sticks in my craw and so... Sure. The, the sooner I can work it out, the better. Okay. We're going to be talking about long takes. Some of them will be tracking shots. Sure. But not all of them because tracking shot and long take do not mean the same thing. It's a, there's a Venn diagram. There are tracking shots that are long takes and there are tracking shots that aren't long takes. In fact, most of them aren't long takes. A tracking shot is a very common uh, and very old um, uh, technique mm-hmm. that has to do with the camera being on a track or with steady cam, perhaps behaving mm-hmm. somewhat like as a track or tracking someone. But just because something is a long take does not mean it's a tracking shot. If, I mean, you, are, if the, you are talking about a memorable long take, chances are it is a tracking shot. Um, um, with maybe, a couple of but, exceptions yeah, that because I've, I've got the, here. The, not necessarily because one of the things that I've, that, that set me off was, um, the true detective season one take, um, which the internet or at least the internet were the internet waters where I tread was just over the moon with ecstasy. And I, it's a, it was a a hell of a technical achievement. I'm glad that people are uh, excited about it, but there were so many people referring to it as a tracking shot and it is not, there are parts of that shot that are right. tracking, yeah. uh, Matthew McConaughey. You can say that's okay. You're, um, behaving like a, like you're on a track at this point. Uh, I, I can see that, but there's also all sorts of other things going on. Sure. It's a long take. That is the correct terminology. I, mm-hmm. I also, um, no, not to the same extent as true detective, but I heard the word uh, tracking shot applied to Birdman uh, a number of times. And that is, that is not 
again, there are parts where the camera is tracking him. Yeah. Um, but it's not, th- those aren't tracking shots. They're long takes How or I, I guess not have Birdman on my list. Birdman is a long take. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's multiple long takes. Right. Uh, anyway, I, I wanted to get that off my chest for those who haven't heard me get on like, uh, you know, uh, chew over this little, uh, pet peeve of mine before be wary of using the term tracking shot. It gets used incorrectly widely. Yeah. So before we, we delve into some of the, the more memorable, um, long takes yeah this is what i want to get into what do you want to say all right this is okay so everybody has their little uh peccadillos Uh okay everybody has their as a film as a filmmaker as a film watcher whatever um just for whatever it is whatever reason and it's something that no one else understands and often they'll give you shit about Mm -hmm. but you can't help yourself i have a few of them uh, one is when an actor does his own stunts. Uh-huh. If anything, that should make me, that should bring me more into the film. Yeah. But all it does is take me out because all I'm in that moment, all I'm thinking is, well, it can't be that dangerous. Otherwise he wouldn't be doing it. You know, <laughs> see, I just, I, I, I'm not with you on that. I, I like, yeah, it's, I like when you can see the actor that it's the actor doing the thing. Yeah. But, but in that, it, and it's weird. Like I, everything about it ma- makes sense to me as far as selling the reality of the situation. But I have a hard time because what will sometimes happen is they will shoot it in a way that emphasize so that we got to really make sure we see his face so that we all know that this person is doing their own stunts. Cause I think it's, uh, it comes maybe from a place of vanity on the part of the actor. If oh, it's somebody yeah. like Tom Cruise, Oh, um, I, I'm a Tom Cruise defender as am I. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he, I think, I think that Tom Cruise really, really wants to make good movies. And I think most of his choices, as much as he tends to choose things that are, you know, um, crowd pleasing in one way or another Mm -hmm. or potential money makers, I don't think he's, uh, cynical when it comes to making movies. And I do think that most of the choices he makes are geared toward making the best movie that he can. I do believe that. I believe that as well, but I also, and I think he's a wonderful actor. I think he's one of the best actors, actors of his generation. I think he's been undersold for the last 15 years. That said, I do think that there are certain vain things about him. One is that though he is in his fifties, his, his leading ladies will often be 20 years younger. Yeah. But is, I mean, that's, he's not, uh, he's not, uh, alone in that. That's, uh, that's, that's right. pretty common. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, who was the website that did that chart where it took Tom Cruise and a bunch of other actors and like plotted their like <laughs> age over their movies yeah. as a line going up. And then the, their love interest, <laughs> just a total horizontal line. Yeah. A very, uh, 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 Matthew McConaughey in days and confused way of looking at things. <laughs> <laughs> Wooderson. Is that his name? Oh gosh, I don't remember. I can't remember the character's name. But um, yeah, I didn't mean to talk about Tom Cruise. Nor are we talking about stunts. Uh, but that's one of those. Uh, that's one of those things that no one understands, and even I don't really understand. But probably the maybe the biggest one for me is the use of the long take. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works for me. Other times it doesn't. The times that it does not work for me 
are very notable and they tend to go against the grain. Um, the, I'll go ahead and just say children of men. Neither of those long takes ever worked for me. I meant to rewatch it. I own the movie on Blu-ray because it's still yeah. an achievement. Um, now for those who don't know, children of men is a movie that takes place in a utopian future where there are no more children. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> that's absolutely. my take on the movie, right? Oh boy. That's everything's <laughs> great. Cause there's no kids. Speaking of, uh, picadillos. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, so we'll lead with that one. There's, there's a number that will, a number of others we'll talk about that do work for me. And then I'll mention others that don't, but I, I think what often for, and it's, it's, it might be for the same reason as the stunt man thing or the, the actor doing their own stunts. Um, so many people talk about the achievement of it and I can't, I, I won't take the true detective or, or children, men or any of these other movies. I won't take the achievement away from them at all. Yeah. But sometimes the achievement is so for so much at the forefront that I feel like, again, intellectually, I can understand why this long unbroken take uh, would put us more into the reality. And yet somehow it takes me out of it, but not in all of them, in some of them. And in, and in both of children and men, it does. Uh, and I, I, I could definitely see what you're saying, but I don't agree with those examples because I think to me, when a long take really works is when I don't notice it. And I'll, I'll be honest about the true detective thing until I got onto the internet the next morning, it hadn't occurred to me. That was an unbroken take. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to go back and watch it and be like, Oh wow, that is like, what's it like? It's like five or six minutes. Uh, I think, um, with that one, I had the, it was unfortunate because I went into it a year after it had come <laughs> right. out and everybody had talked about it, but I, it, you know what? Now that you mention it, I didn't realize that this was the, sh this was the shot everyone was talking about until a solid four minutes into it. And I thought, uh -huh. Hey, wait a second. This is that thing. Everyone's so I didn't notice it either. And I might not have, if I had seen it. Yeah. And so I think, but I, this difference, you and I disagree about the children of men. Cause I put that in those categories. I don't, I don't notice. Um, and I'm, the one in the car, I notice a lot more because it, it's shot in such an unusual way that I feel like I can't help but notice it. Okay. Um, you know, where the camera is just sort of in the middle. And, and I do feel like once you notice, or at least once I notice, let me, uh, sidestep for a moment. Okay. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody who talked about, who was asking not in a mean, not in a mean way or anything, but they just said like, like, Oh man, just, you know, you just, uh, watch these movies and you're analyzing them the whole time. And it's like, can you let yourself enjoy them? Can you let yourself get lost in them? And, and I feel very fortunate in, in being able to say, yes, I can. I know mm -hmm. plenty of people that can't, uh, that for whatever reason, they just can't turn it off while they're watching a movie. They can still appreciate, they can still enjoy, but they aren't, they can't let themselves get lost in it. Mm -hmm. I can. And I'm, I'm very happy about that. And so, when something that a director does takes me out of a movie and I do find myself immediately thinking, wow, this is quite an achievement. I wonder how they did it in the midst of it, not after, but in the midst of it, that's when I start to get 
frustrated because and and that's that car the the long take in the car of children and men that's the one because i'm like how the, how are they doing this well here's i guess here's the thing with me is maybe i get even more maybe i have even more abandon than you mm-hmm. because if a movie's working for me i'm not going to notice you know because mm-hmm. so I, I i mostly wrote down ones that i like but one I wrote down that I'm not a fan of, um, that makes, I, I was Googling a lot of lists of yeah. people's favorite long takes. This one makes a lot of them. I'm not a fan of the, uh, the long take in atonement. And nor am I. And I think it's just be, if that were in a movie that I were invested in at that point, sure. I would probably like it, but because I'm not into the movie, but when it gets to the long take, I'm, it, it comes off as showy to me, which I think is kind of what you're saying. Um, yeah, that one is definitely showy. That's more like a presentation more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that, uh, we can transition to something else. I want to talk about sometimes calling attention to it is the point. Sure. And I, 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 I like that. There's a number of, um, a couple of for real tracking shots. There's John Luke Godard's weekend, uh, which has a, um, have you seen it? It has, I have a, not seen it. has a traffic jam along the highway and the mm-hmm. camera is just on a track alongside the highway. While yeah. These cars aren't moving and people are getting out and talking and yelling and arguing. And there's all this sort of stuff going on. And the camera is just tracking alongside uh, a traffic jam that you notice <laughs> what's going sure. on because the whole point is look how long this traffic jam goes on. There's also the hallway fight scene in old boy. Which uh, I've also not seen. Okay. Um, but there's a sequence in Daredevil that apparently is very similar to it. Uh, yeah, but the Daredevil one is... Um, from a different angle. And is also... Yeah, it's from a different angle, whereas the old boy one is from an impossible angle. Yeah. Because it's it turns it from a hallway to, like, you're watching it on a stage. Yeah. It, you or know, like a video game, a side-scroller. Yeah, it pulls yeah. back further than you could. It, it yeah. takes... it In theory, it takes you out of the reality, but I actually really li- like that because it calls attention to, look how long this guy's fighting and how many guys he's fighting. Um, but then there are more subtle ones that I think... Um, I don't know if call attention to themselves is um, the right word here, but I'm thinking of the introduction of both the crew and the ship in serenity. Oh, sure. Okay. Cause that one that it's like, that's one that it's like, part of it is like, if you are, if you're not invested, part of you is going, Oh, wow, this is all one set, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, all <laughs> the multiple levels, multiple rooms is all one set. But even if it's not sinking in consciously, subconsciously, you are learning the space where the movie is going to take place. Right. And I think that's a real, so sometimes uh, I think a lot of times when they're used, right, it is, they're used for a point, you know, and, and uh, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, no, say? I was saying that the ones that we don't tend to like are the ones that uh, seem pointless or the point is to show off. And they're in. OK, so that I want to I want to step back a little bit. And before we proceed. Now, I know we can't make a, a, a definitive rule about this and say that this is why somebody does a long take. But we could talk about why they work and why they don't. But what is the, this is a g- very general question. What is the point of a long take? Well, I, d- I think I just uh, addressed that a little bit. There are, there are different points. Okay. I think um, the Serenity, Serenity one is very specific because it uh, is very much about getting you familiar with, especially if you weren't someone who watched the TV show, yeah. uh, becoming familiar with, um, 
uh, the space where the movie is going to take place. And Mm -hmm. because these characters, it's their home. Yeah. And so you need to feel comfortable in it in the same way they do. And I think that's a very specific one, but then there are also some where the point is like you were talking about with children of men, not, um, relieving tension. Yeah. Um, gentlemen is one, but, uh, another one that's like that is the, um, another movie that I don't know if you ever saw, uh, John Woo's hard boiled. I've not. Uh, oh, but I, I've seen that. You've shot. seen that shot. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's one that's like, he's going through the hospital shooting guys left and right. And it really is like, it doesn't let up and it puts you in that position. And you know, here's, here's one that is not as uh, kinetic as old boy. But it's a lot of the same thing, which is 12 Years a Slave. Okay. There's a long take. Now, the camera's not moving. The camera is is uh, static, and it's just him hanging from the tree. Right, yeah, yeah. And that, now, that doesn't go on as long as a lot of these, but boy, it sure feels like it does. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't let up. And if there were cuts, if there were, even if there was like very slow, uh, you know, crossfades getting closer and closer or further and further away, that would still be something of a relief, uh, because we're seeing technique and we're being, even if it's unconscious, we're being reminded that we're watching a film, but by just setting the camera there and just leaving it and just hearing the squishing of his, of the mud underneath yeah. his toes. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that is one of the best, to me, that's one of the most effective uses of a long take and it doesn't need to be, uh, showy. It doesn't need to be complex and it yeah. does the work as, as any of these other takes will do. Now, how do you feel about, again, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, how do you feel about the rape scene in irreversible? Cause that's, I mean, that's operating on the same principle is yeah. that we're not going to, let you, the audience off the hook here. You're going to sit here for, I think nine minutes and, uh, watch, uh, this guy rape this woman. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It's super hot. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's, I'm, it's, I'm reluctant to say I'm okay with it, but I'm okay with it. Um, I, I don't think it's exploitative. I think it is unblinking and I think it should be. I think it's right for the movie. I, yeah. I defend that movie. Um, I've only seen it the once. I don't know if I'll, yeah, I'm not returning to yeah, that. I'm I think I'll never see it again. I think I watched it shortly after you, I think I watched it in that apartment. Okay. I, um, I saw it in the theater. Oh, okay. I saw it at the, that what's it called? The landmark in Chicago that we used to go to. Yes. It's not called the landmark though. It's at the, the mall at like, uh, yeah, I know. Like one. Broadway and diversity somewhere around there. It was across the street from that Borders, right? Yeah, it's not a Borders anymore. No, of course not. But uh, and, and that Coconuts isn't there either. I know. That's where I bought Citizen Kane but on DVD. Last time I was in Chicago, I stayed at the Days Inn around the corner from the, uh, the movie theater there. Mm. But it's a totally different neighborhood because there was no Coconuts and no Borders. But I did walk over to uh, what's the famous uh, hot dog place over Clark there? Dogs. No, not that one. The famous okay. one where they yell at you. Oh, is that? Uh, Oh my gosh, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm Damn drawing it. a blank. It's, it's, it bothers me that Chicago stuff is is uh, yeah. getting away from me. The yeah. Wiener Circle? Yeah, Wiener That's Circle. It. That's okay. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, went there. Um, I didn't get yelled at. Aw. No, I didn't want to. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, all right, guys, seriously. This is all... It's such an annoying reputation for that place to have because I saw it in action where drunk guys come in from the bar and they start shit. Because yeah, that's they not think, fun. That's what we do here, right? So they're like... Yelling, yeah. and it's like, no, that's not the point here, you drunk idiot. Yeah, it's just, yeah, you're not part of the comedy routine either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but right. uh, uh, what were we saying? Thing. Something about irreversible and uh, oh, right, and yes. basically 
we're talking about the different uses of long takes and one of them that uh, you're right is to not let the audience off the hook yeah um so okay so what have we got so far we've got not breaking tension we have setting like exploring the world yeah which is kind of also the the goodfellas um i i agree uh thing because that's i mean uh, uh, not that you need to know the geography of the copacabana mm-hmm. but um it's an introduction to who uh henry hill has become through yeah. the eyes of um why am i drawing a blank on lorraine brocco lorraine brocco's character um uh, and so that so i would i would put the the goodfellas one yeah. in the same category as the serenity one isn't that it's uh and the you're, goodfellas you're, you're being you're you're being immersed yeah. in the world immersive is is really is a really good word to use because that one i think really uh there there's almost a surrealism to that shot in goodfellas uh-huh. Because it's just, it's constant moving, but there's also just so many people around and people are saying, Hey, how's it going? Or, or whatever, as you just walk through and you're seeing so many different and so many different aspects of the club. Um, and I don't know. And it's, and it's weird to try to get your bearings and take it all in. It's kind of, it's sort of a sensory overload quality to it. Um, and it's invigorating, but it's also overwhelming and it's, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a reason that one works so well and I have no problem with it at all. Yeah. But I honestly, the way it's kind of magical, which is, I think because we're supposed to be seeing it from her point of view Yeah, and the way they like bring in the table just as they're about to sit down. It really does feel, uh, fairy tale-ish. Yeah. And it's just, uh, and I do, and I do also think that the way Scorsese makes movies, anything that has this bravura—is that how you say it? Bravura, bravura. That's Whatever. a tough one to say. That's a it word is. I tend to write more than I say. No question about it. Uh, probably for, for this maybe reason, virtuosic is what you want to sure, say. Sure, absolutely. Because you know how to pronounce. No that. question. <laughs> uh, but it has, you know, his his style of filmmaking. I think might lend itself to this, and it just blends in easier. Um, because at any moment it feels like he could go to quick cuts or a long take and it all, it all feels like emotionally, uh, right. Um, and especially in that movie where he's just about as on point as he has ever been. Um, so, okay. So we got setting the, you know, revealing the world Mm -hmm. or exploring the world, immersive experience. We've got not cutting the tension Um, and then I was looking at, I was looking at the idea of long take as a reveal. Um, and I was thinking of gone with the wind. Okay. Oh, um, right, right. With the, the, the wounded soldiers and then just pulling back and back and, and then it just keeps going back. Yeah. And I feel like that's the point of it is like, yes, we could cut back further and further and there would still be an effect, but there's something about, and it's, it, there's almost a tension there, but it's almost just the, the enormity of the situation and it needs to be one long take. And I don't know how long that take is, but it's, it definitely, I think would qualify. Um, and it's not really following any character. It's just, it's, it's exploring the world, exploring the event and just, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how to, yeah, yeah, I, I don't have any other examples that are like that, but that is uh, that's a that's a good one. The idea of the um, 
the movement of the camera giving you more of a sense of scope than you're expecting, you know, by, yeah. by it continuing to move after you think it's right. You think it would be done. Um, uh, yeah. I can't think of other examples like that, but that's a, that's a good one. I mean, aside from, you know, there's the, uh, the shot in space balls of the ship that just keeps going and going where the long take is used for humor. Yeah. Um, so, but aside from that, I can't. so yet another similarity between gone with the wind and space balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't think about space. That's a good one. Spaceballs, yeah, I like that. It was not on my list here. I just yeah. happened to think of it. Yeah, um, I thought of Spaceballs during the introduction of the whale in In the Heart of the Sea because it kind of does the same thing. Where it's like, wow, this is a long whale. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, introductions of whales, okay, Bergmeister Harmonies uh, ah, has a number, yeah. has a number of long takes, and I mean, I, I forget how many shots are in the film total. I don't know. It's like. In the 30s, maybe less. I don't yeah, remember it's a, exactly. What, like a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, you say what you need to say because I, yeah, well, I have something to say about that. That's one where, where in which every if everything is a long take, then that means every an argument could be made that every possible type of long take is there. Some in which we're just exploring the world. Some in which there's a, a tension. But I think probably the most notable one from a technical standpoint, and I think from an emotional standpoint, mm-hmm. is the raid on the hospital. Right, yeah. You know the one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Um, where there's just this mob and the, that is just destroying everything for no particular reason, as mobs do. And, um, and they come into this hospital and they're just terrorizing, you know, patients, people that are sick. And the camera just goes right along with them, uh, coming in and out of rooms, following the crowd. I guess it's not following any one character. That's mm-hmm. notable. Yeah. Um, and then it they all arrive at this, oh my gosh, it's heartbreaking, at this old naked man just standing in a shower and just like looking at them and they don't know how to deal with it. And then the entire mob silently just leaves. Uh-huh. And then the camera follows, follows them out. And it's just, uh, it's so powerful. And there are a lot of long takes in the film, uh, but that one, and I don't even know how to classify that one. Well, yeah, I don't know how to classify that specific one. And, um, we might, it might be folly of us to even try to be classifying different types of long That's takes. That's true. Yeah. But, uh, when I think of fact, harmonies, I think of it when a movie is made up of long takes. Yeah. It, it's a different purpose where it's about, rhythm in mm-hmm. a way. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, it's the same way that if a movie is made up of very short takes you know, yeah. or, or anything, you know, I, I think any, um, I often think about the cadence of a movie while I'm watching it. And, uh, I, I think that's just one, one choice and it is, um, uh, a conspicuous choice, but it definitely works. Um, it works for me in a lot of movies. I'm also thinking of uh, Roy Anderson and like uh, songs from the second floor. Um, that's different because those are all static shots. Yeah. But, um, or I guess there's some panning left to right, but uh, they're not, these aren't steady camera handheld uh, right. or, or on tracks. Uh, is that true? Are there any tracks? I can't remember. Um, but uh, that's another one where uh, every scene in the movie is a shot. And right. that, establishes the rhythm of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't have many, uh, I, I wrote down Brookmaster harmonies. I didn't write down, uh, uh, 
songs from the second floor. I don't have many like that. Um, but I, think, I you I'm know, trying to think if I do, I don't really, not, I, not to that extent. A director that I have written down who would not, he didn't do all like the way that Bellatar or Roy Anderson does, but Stanley Kubrick would often use a number of long takes yeah, to, I have, uh, to establish rhythms. And, uh, I have paths of glory and the shining written down as do I. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're pretty good at this. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and I think with the shining, I think it's very much, um, you know, the, probably the most notable is the kid on the, on the little bike or yeah. whatever you call that. It's not a tricycle. Yeah. There's a name the for those things. Big wheel, big wheel. Yeah. That's it. Uh, the kid on the big wheel, which is exploring the overlook and then ending on something like, Oh, I wasn't expecting, you know, yeah. these two girls at the end of it. Yeah. And so, but that's one but where it's exploring the overlook, over but it also, have you seen those like dissections of how it doesn't work? Oh yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that in room 37? It is. Okay. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Um, but, uh, and I think it does a really good job of, of establishing like Danny's point of view. Like we're following along with him as he's going along. And this is just, this is what his day is today is yeah. riding his big wheel around the hotel. And speaking of, um, rhythm, uh, him going from the hard floor to the carpet, to the yeah. hard floor to the carpet, um, absolutely does sort of lull you into, yeah. Or, or I don't even know, maybe it creates tension, but it also is immersive in its own way yeah. because it's like a metronome, but like a drawn out one. Well, and I, I will use that, and maybe I shouldn't, maybe we should stay on Kubrick for a moment, but I will, I will talk about how crucial sound is Mm -hmm. in a long take, which brings me to touch of evil. Oh, Um, yes. Because I was wondering when we were going to get to it. So the version that we all watch now, yeah, which is the one that is theoretically closer to Wells original vision. Yes. Hat tip to, uh, Walter, Walter Murch. Um, someday we're, we're going to do, do an episode. episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and obviously it will be the very last episode of the podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know what, now that I've said that, obviously that's what we have to yeah, do. Yeah, we have to do that. Um, and so, uh, and then there will be some kind of technical problem. <laughs> so now when the, uh, when the, you know, one of the many things that the studio did is they take that opening, uh, long take from touch of evil, which starts with somebody putting a bomb in a car and then the car is just driving along and the camera's following it. And so there's the tension thing and it's, you know, and because we don't know when this thing's going to blow. And so a cut would be some kind of relief. And so we just need to stay with this car the whole time. It makes to me, it makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, and you're also exploring this border town a lot as, as well. So what the studio stupidly did, cause that's what they do. Hang on. That's unfair of me. Yeah. You know, is they put credits over that. And yeah. I understand why you would, why they would do that. But at the same time, now I'm reading names and I'm not exploring the world. Yeah. But then they also brought in, because now it's a credit sequence. Now they, they put in Henry Mancini's music and it's great music. Henry Mancini's touch of evil theme is great, but what Wells always wanted it to be. He didn't want any credits. 
and he didn't want any music. He wanted the sounds of the town to, you know, as, as the car is passing by one shop, we hear the music coming out from that shop and then we hear it fade out as you're getting further away from it. And he was using the, the, the sound to sort of heighten in a way to heighten the tension because like Goodfellas, you're being just bombarded with the, this world and, and it's kind of chaotic. Uh, at the same time that at any moment it could be in front of one of these shops, this bomb could go off. Whereas, you know, by basically removing the sound and just putting in this music as well as credits, it just really cuts the tension and really undercuts the, uh, undercuts the whole point of the, of the long take. Which is interesting to me. I wonder now if, because of, people talking about movies and TV shows like true detective on the mm-hmm. internet. If like having a long take in the movie is now seen as a commodity to where a studio would be like, yeah, go ahead. Like that's something. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. We can, it's something that people, people will talk about. about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, if you're going to talk about touch of evil, then you have to talk about the player, which, yes. uh, has a long take in which the characters are talking about the long take and touch of evil. Damn it. Not all the characters, not all the characters. Just Fred Fred Ward. Ward. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, damn, that's a good movie. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a long time. Neither have I. Um, but what I wanted to talk about uh, as far as sound is w- it'll bring me to Creed. So you've heard, so you mentioned Creed, you've undoubtedly, you've heard about the long take in it. Uh, oh, is there just one? There's, there's one that is, okay. It's an entire match, an entire boxing match. Okay. But um, not all the matches are long. Takes. No. Okay. Uh, you know, is, there was a, um, season of rescue me okay where all of the i think it was i think it was for a full season every time they went to a fire they did it in one take that's interesting yeah did you watch that uh yeah i watched the first like five seasons of rescue me before i gave up see and and returning and like having it be for an entire every time they go into a fire it goes into this mode i feel like that makes a lot of sense right because now like the characters and it stems from the characters, which is they're in a very different mode when they're in this situation than any other time in their life. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. And that's, that'd be interesting. I like that idea. Yeah. Um, there's an, okay. I didn't think about rescue me at all, but that, um, those are the best parts. There's also another, there's a shot in, um, an episode of rescue me where, um, the camera is on the ground and it's, you realize there's, um, the dead body of a child who's been in a car accident on the mm-hmm. ground. Uh, theoretically, I guess just under where the camera is. You don't see the dead body, okay. but you see them, you see the firemen react to it. And then there's uh, the shot ends with, um, Dennis Leary's character. Again, you never see the actual body, but it's horrifying. And yeah. it's sort of like what we were talking about with like the irreversible Toby a slave thing that it doesn't cut away. But we're just looking at his, we're not looking at the awfulness, we're yeah. looking at his face where he's gathering, essentially everything's been done. He's gathering up the different body parts because part of, part of this girl's body has come off Ugh. and wrapping them up in a blanket to take away. So you're not in the, it's framed so you're just missing whatever he's actually holding but you're just seeing him like sort of reach and gather things up on a blanket and then fold with the blanket and walk away with it and it's all uh it's all one shot it's pretty horrifying i feel the so problem I want, with music could do amazing stuff like that and then be really dumb the next scene yeah i, I watched the first season and thought it was pretty good and thought certainly that dennis leary was doing really good mm-hmm. work 
but um and then i and then i stopped watching as, as tends to that was an fx show right yeah as tends to happen with fx shows for me is sons of anarchy the shield uh uh rescue me i'll watch a season or two yeah and be like this is pretty good and then just move yeah. away from it i'm with you on sons of anarchy i watched the first season and then i watched the first episode of the second season and i was like i'm sure i'll get back to this someday <laughs> and i'm sure i told you that i watched the first season and then i stopped watching halfway through the finale of season one and it, with the idea it's just like because i had to go somewhere i was like i'll get back to it yeah yeah that was about four years ago yeah um well in shield i watched the first not it's the shield i yes, watched yes. uh two full seasons mm-hmm. and then walked away for maybe three years, maybe yeah. two, yeah, two and a half years. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll pick this back up again. I hear it's good. And then that's when it like, I contend that the shield doesn't actually really get good until halfway through the third season. Uh, anyway, which is why I don't recommend it to people that often because it's a long commitment of putting up with two and a half seasons of kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, but it's necessary. Sure. Cause he spends, like Vic Mackey spends two seasons doing bad shit and then five seasons trying not to get caught for what he did in the first two seasons. Yeah. So it's necessary to the show, but, uh, it is kind of eye rolling a lot. Yeah. It's the whole reason that I stopped watching it is because I think at the time I was working at blockbuster and we only had the first two seasons on DVD and I didn't have FX and I still don't. But anyway, um, the hell were we talking about? How do we get to rescue me? Rescue me. Oh, Creed. Oh, Creed yes. uh, and I don't know how we got there, but we, w- I was talking about Creed. Yeah. Um, so the first match, uh, that's right. Cause every fire in that season was this, but not every match in right. Creed is yeah. that, okay. but basically, uh, Adonis Creed's first r- professional match. Uh, it goes in and undoubtedly there's probably some digital tricks. Um, but it's the man, it's the way the camera is used where sometimes it zooms in, sometimes it's out. It's just, and it's, it basically it's, it's, but it also doesn't feel handheld. It just feels like this swooping omnipotent Mm -hmm. thing that is latching on to the most vital parts of that scene. Sometimes it's the actual fight. Sometimes it's Rocky watching from the sidelines, but along with that, what sells it is the sound design because there are times when you hear it's and it's not POV either, but sometimes you'll hear Rocky speaking a little bit far away. And then other times it's, it's the, it's the, as though he's right next to your head. Oh yeah. Um, and then, you know, the roar of the crowd and that sort of thing, the, the tight, you know, the, the way the, the, the gloves are hitting and just, it's a marvelous sequence. Um, and it's, and as tends to happen, the visual is amazing, but if you get the sound design wrong or if you, or if you don't, if you don't match the ambition of the visual in a, in a, with the sound, then it's not going to be as interesting. And I think that's absolutely true with, with touch of evil and creed. Um, and that's that's an element to the the long take that I think people don't talk about enough. Um, um, can I quickly mention, as long as we're talking about boxing, sure, uh, one that I don't like okay. because it's not a good movie, uh, even though it's the best part of the movie, is Snake Eyes, the Brian De Palma right, movie, yes. which uh, the entire opening 
I guess like 12 minutes or something, mm-hmm. uh, maybe longer is, um, Nicholas cage walking through the arena, uh, right before the fight. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it does serve the purpose of introducing us to every character and every plot line that we're going to see unfold. And that's kind of interesting, but, um, it is very showy and it also sets a tone for the movie that it then doesn't live up to at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, not my favorite. Let me ask you this. I almost think of snake eyes as two movies. I think of it as the short film at the beginning and then the boring movie becomes after that. A really great trailer for a (laughs) really bad movie. Um, let me ask you this. How much, because I, I, what I just said is that there are probably some tricks, uh, in Creed. Yeah. Um, what do you, what is your, what is your take? What, yeah. what is your take on long takes that heavily involve visual effects? It feels like it's from an achievement standpoint, it could still be effective like in gravity, you know, that yeah. first sequence, it can still be very effective. But gravity, I'll tell you but what, gravity is feel... one like true detects or whatever that I don't notice. Like, I don't think, yeah, like, I don't think it, I did either. I think I emotionally notice it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's the, that's the point. It's sort of like, well, uh, you and I disagree about children of men, but the set, the, the one at the end in children of men, mm-hmm. um, there's a part where someone gets shot and there's blood on the, on the lens yeah. for a while. And then it disappears. Yeah. And that happens so subtly that it's, um, not until later when I go, Oh, there was, this is still the same shot, but there's blood on the lens before. Um, so, uh, I guess I'm, I'm all for visual effects. I guess if I either don't notice them or if noticing them is the point like with Birdman, but I don't love Birdman, but that's not why. Yeah. Um, I guess what I, what I mean is that like, yeah, if something works, it works, and yeah. that's fine. But I feel like there's a reason that people don't talk about gravity the way they talk about Goodfellas or Children of Men. I think because so much of it is, oh, is right. done in the computer that people just won't talk about it as an achievement, much like... Um, I was, I forget. What, I think I was watching some Red Letter Media thing, and they were talking about how the, the opening of Re- Revenge of the Sith it's all one take going through this space battle, but there's not an actual camera shot in the whole fucking thing. (laughs) You know, it's all, it's, it's all computers. There's no achievement to it at all. Well, I would say, I don't think you could do it. I could, if I worked, (laughs) you know, look, I work with Photoshop. I think I got it. Uh, but I see if there are any pregnant women just floating around out there that need moles taken off, I can, I can do that. But, um, there is uh, maybe it's comfortable to like when you're walking through an art museum and you pass a, a painting and you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that's a painting that looks so photorealistic. And sure. then you pass by like a Mark Rothko painting, um, which I like Mark Rothko. He's my, uh, yeah. <laughs> my screensaver on my, on my iPhone. Uh, sorry, my smartphone. Um, uh, like they can both be, similarly effective emotionally, but yeah. there is a certain part of you that, uh, recognizes the, the photo, the painting that looks photorealistic. You're like, wow, that must've taken a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's the correct way to think about art, but I, is, right. I do think it's something that we probably can't help to a certain extent. Uh, but notice, yeah, I mean, like I've, um, I'm not a big fan of rope. The Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah. I was going to get there. And part of that is that the, the quote unquote hidden cuts are just so obvious. They're very obvious. Yes. Um, 
that it like it takes me out every time where I'm like, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And so I, it, it's a hard film for me to, uh, uh, like we, I used the word abandon earlier. Uh, it's hard film for me to achieve abandon while watching. Yeah. Rope feels so much more like an experiment than an actual, th- like Hitchcock was like, all right, I'm bored with the shit that I do usually. So like rope feels to me like certain aspects of the birds feel and I need um, to rewatch the birds. I have your copy of the birds. I, yeah. I was going to rewatch it this weekend and uh, some friends invited us up to play uh, pub trivia, which we won. Good job. But we didn't get a chance to watch the birds. So I, it's been so long since I've seen it that I don't really know what you're referring to. There is a sequence where a gas station is about to blow up. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, I know. Exactly Do you know what I'm talking about? It sticks out like a sore thumb and it yeah. doesn't work for me. And it's, but everything about it feels like Hitchcock is trying something. He's yeah. doing an experiment it might work. It might not. Uh, he's, and it, that's what rope feels like to me. But yeah, that for, can you explain the scene? You've seen it more recently than I have for, cause I want to talk about that scene in, in the birds and what he's trying to do. And I want to talk about why it doesn't work. Getting some, getting yeah. some films, film school shit. Yeah. It's hard to even explain. Okay. So basically, uh, there's a, a group of people inside a gas station and a lot of, you know, a lot of bird shits going down. <laughs> Yeah. probably probably yeah. some literally yeah. yeah um and uh and at one point there's a there's a uh a trail of gas that is about to be lit on fire um and then it is and we cut to tippy hedron watching this and so and she's watching through a window is that through a window yeah okay and so it's a trail of gasoline that is going to lead to uh, a truck or something like that and then there's going to be a very big explosion that will probably kill a lot of people and she she can't do anything she can all she can do is watch in horror and so it's a trail it's it's you know this line of gasoline and so all she can do is watch the fire get closer and closer to the truck okay so what will happen is it cuts to the fire making its way and then it cuts to her, but it's basically almost like a still of her looking to the left and then it cuts back and the fire is making progress. And now it's her looking sort of like center left and then it, it cuts it, back. It's like and at, then, at each point it cuts back to the shot of her. It's almost like it's from the fire's POV from wherever the fire is at that point. Yeah. Right. It's something like, it, like that. It's yeah. tracking the fire. Yeah. But the idea, one of the things is that, she's never moving in those shots. You don't see her moving her head. It's cutting back uh, almost like someone took a photograph in that moment. Uh, and you're, and by, by tracking with, by watching the fire move and then cutting back to her reaction, even though it's static, it's creating this. uh, It's the theory is that it's creating, uh, the illusion of her moving her head along with the fire. Uh, Again, I say theory because it feels completely like an experiment that does not work, and, it's, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Here's what sticks out to me, actually, the, is is not the stillness of it. Okay. There's a thing you learn in, in film school. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, are aware of this, either from attending film school or being autodidactic or whatever. Um, but there's a thing you learn about called the 180-degree rule. Right. 180-degree rule, um, which is the idea that in any scene there's an invisible <laughs> there's like an invisible wall like 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 the the curtain and it happened one night um but it's right. invisible dra- drawn through the middle of the scene and the camera needs to say stay on one side of it unless it breaks the plane and it 
in a moving shot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if it's if it's a continuous moving shot, then that's fine. But it needs to stay on one side of it or the other. And if you explain that to someone who has never been to film school, doesn't think about that sort of thing, it sounds weirdly arbitrary. Yeah. Right. But if you show someone that sequence from the birds mm-hmm. and the way that the camera over the course of the scene and jumping back and forth jumps over the 180 degree line, 180 degree line. It's really jarring. Yeah. Because we're just not, it, it, it's forever, forever reason that doesn't feel right to our eyes. And it does, it just, it feels like something that somebody in film school would do. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's, it, it feels like an experiment. It feels like Hitchcock saying, I wonder if I can do this. And he has the freedom to do it. And so right. he's like, all right, let's give this a try. And that's what rope feels like to me is, can I shoot this as though it were a play? Cause right. I believe it's based on a play. Yeah. Can I shoot? Can I try to create that? But obviously, well, then there are no cuts in a play, so I'm going to have to try and shoot it as one take, but I can't do that yeah. logistically because, you know, so Rope feels like an experiment that doesn't always work, and, and it's really obvious where the cuts are and stuff like that. Well, we should um, start having an eye towards wrapping up, Sure, but while we're on the topic of single take experiments, there's a couple movies I want to talk about. One of them is Russian Ark. Okay, um, which I still haven't seen. And uh, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's not a documentary, but it's not a fiction either. Yeah. It, it's, it, the camera, it's a 90 something minute movie that is all one take, um, obviously shot uh, digitally. I guess you don't have to say that anymore because most movies are shot digitally. Right. At the time, this was what, 11, 12 years ago when this came out? Maybe even more. Um, uh, it was like, well, obviously they're shooting digitally because if you're shooting on film, you can't do that yeah um uh and it's an unbroken shot um largely handheld or steadicam uh through the russian uh hermitage museum is that how you say it sure um and there are all sorts of like little bits and productions and shows that go on around the camera and there is a lead character of sort who's sort of leading you through it but it Mm -hmm. is it's just like a look at russian history and russian art uh over the course of 90 minutes um, with a lot of crazy shit going on and it's incredibly well choreographed and it is uh, it very much it's 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 one of the long takes you notice. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, and then the other one that I want to talk about that I know you have seen and are a fan of is Mike Figgis Time Code. That's right. Which is also which is a movie that is also all one shot except it's also all four shots. Yeah. For those Good who don't God. know t- Time Code is t- uh, a, a square uh, screen divided into four. Yeah. Each one is, uh, and a continuous shot and they all tell the same story and they overlap and the characters, yeah. uh, go from one screen to another. And Mike Figgis uses, um, sound to direct your attention as to which one is most important, perhaps to be watching in a given moment, but the action's still going on in the other three. Yeah, man, that movie's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's a total experiment. I mean, there are still, I still, there's still a story going on. There's still characters that I care about and I'm in, and I'm invested in. It's but, very funny. And it's very funny. Uh, Danny Houston, uh, <laughs> might be the first time I ever noticed him. Uh, and I thought Houston, that's, that's spelled like the Houston's. Is he a Houston? And then from, from then on, uh, I, I always took notice of him, but, uh, yeah, such an odd, I do feel like there tends to be an, uh, an aspect of experimentation with long takes. Right. Um, 
not always, but it does feel like there does seem to be an element of, can I do this? Can I accomplish this? Um, and you know, they're all, uh, as a result, there tends to be a fe- almost a feeling of exhilaration, um, when it is happening because, oh my gosh, entrance. Oh, right. Yeah. We know people that did this. Uh, yeah. And it just, it wasn't on my list. It didn't even occur to me, um, until just now. Yeah. But, and they also, they hit a cut in a way that, yeah, I must have watched the movie three times before I realized, like, oh, obviously the camera didn't go through there. Yeah, obviously, but yeah. It, this, but it, it works really well, yeah. and yeah, there's a. So the reason that I thought of it is because you know the idea of of people being just so excited to do this thing and they just can't wait to do it. And the way Dallas and Patrick talk about it, like they know it's going to be a lot of work, but if you do it right, um then there's this element of just being stuck there with the character, just like in 12 years a slave, but also like touch of evil. And there's this idea of a cut can be seen as emotionally and unconsciously can be seen as an escape from the situation. Right. And there's no escape from her situation. Uh, another film that I wanted to mention is gun crazy, which, uh, has a scene that doesn't, it does stick out a little bit stylistically from the rest of the film, which okay. feels like a, a much more standard film noir, but there, there comes a moment that feels very French new wave, um, where they, the camera's in the back of a, of a car oh, right. as they go to rob a bank and the camera just, it's, it's in the car the whole time, uh, as they're trying to, as they're driving this way, driving that way. And then they park in front of the bank. Somebody jumps out and the camera stays in the car. um, And, and there's an element of like fun and exhilaration and, oh my gosh, can you believe we're doing this? It feels very young and and vibrant and feels very, uh, Godard. Um, and it's, uh, and it, it certainly does to me, it does stick out from the rest of the film, but it's still, you can tell that the director is excited to be doing what he's doing. Um, and I feel like those are, it it might be a little bit self-conscious, but in, in the best possible way, it's, it's not necessarily, Hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. And it's more, can you believe that we're doing this? Um, and so, you know, we started with the idea that some of these work for me and some of them don't. And I, and I'm trying to think of what, what's the common denominator and the ones that don't, what's the common denominator and the ones that do. And I can't really, I can't really put my finger on it. I think it, it didn't, it tends to be something that as, as, it will often come back to with me is does it spring organically from the character or the situation? Um, is it putting us more in mind of, or, or putting us in sympathy or in, in, in doing so in empathy with mm-hmm. what the character is going through. I mean, that's 12 years a slave. That's good fellas. That's any number of things. It's not atonement. And one could right. say it's, it's children of men, and yet somehow it doesn't work for me totally there either. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I, I can't completely find rhyme or reason to it. It worked for me inspector a hundred percent. Um, and I think part of that had to do with the fact that it's, it's also, uh, 
exploring the world. You yeah. know, it's it's a, it's a crowd. There's a parade. There's all of this stuff going on, and it's just capturing all of this activity as a character is very slowly following yeah. uh, another character. Um, so, you know, I some of them work, some of them don't. We forgot to talk about. Well, you haven't seen it yet. I hope you get to see it. Um, but a movie from this year, a uh, German movie called Victoria. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is a two and a half hour unbroken take. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful what we can do nowadays. It's, uh, well, uh, can people uh, tell me what that movie's from? What movie that's from? I can't do the British accent. It's what, uh, immediately what we can do now. Yeah. Immediately. I was like, well, that's British. Yeah. Sounds very British. Uh, if given time, I could probably place it, but I can't okay. at the moment. All right. Um, uh, then that's, that's the, we should do this every week. Oh, that's fun. Uh, that's fun. So yeah. Someone tell me what line that's from or what line that, what movie that line is from. Wonderful. What we can do nowadays. Um, so I'm trying to think if there were any others that I, that I didn't mention. Magnolia has a, has a really good one. Uh, that works really well for me and keeps up that, that pacing. And I think punch drunk love has one too, where he's going through the warehouse and, Oh yeah. Yeah. And Paul Thomas Anderson uses it to like, just create this, this manic energy that just it's, you know, nobody's going to die. And yet I'm still as tense as can be when watching those. And heart eight has a very good fellas type one in the casino. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then there's one, and this is something I meant to talk about with the idea of using special effects, uh, to create something that you could never create in the camera and why for me, it just, I feel like they're cheating or it doesn't work. Uh, and for me, uh, panic room um, oh, yeah. is one where, you know, it's going through, you know, it goes to like the, the handle, handle of the a coffee or, yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. It's, that's, and it goes way through, too showy and it goes like through a keyhole and that one I at least understand thematically. Yeah. Um, which is the idea of just never being safe and that, you know, evil will always find a way in and that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, but will evil also just meander its way through a coffee cup or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Oh, that one. Me. And because it's pure, it's those moments are pure computer graphics. And yeah. to me, I think there is something when these are done well, whether you realize it in the moment or afterwards, the the realization is like, holy shit, look at the choreography that was required. Yeah. The camera had, even if you, even if you're stringing it together in a digital way and through editing, like Birdman or like, uh, Creed, the, the, the simple fact is that all of this stuff was still shot in the moment right. on location or on set or whatever. And they didn't use visual effects to create something from whole cloth. You were going to say something. I'm sorry. I was just going to, before we wrap up, there's one I forgot to mention. That's not, it's not very long, but it is one that it's like, Oh, I wonder how they did that. Mm. Um, and it's a really good movie that no one ever talks about. Okay. It's right at the beginning of the movie secret window. Oh, okay. Right up in John Turturro. Yeah, that's a good movie. I don't know if you remember this part. The, it's because it reminded me when you talk about uh, gun crazy, the camera's on the hood of the car looking into the windshield while mm-hmm. he's sort of panicky trying to get out of this snow covered parking lot. Okay. And so he's like pulling forward and backwards and getting, trying to get out of the parking lot. And the one point he finally gets to where he can back out and this camera that has been attached to the car the whole time mm-hmm. as he backs out, the camera suddenly stays where it is. Hmm. Uh, it's a really cool shot. That's neat. I'm not sure how, um, how that was done, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I wanted and to mention that one. And I, I really like that movie. I do too. Uh, I mean, I do feel like, uh, I don't find John Sturrow to be particularly threatening in the film. Um, but it's still a really, a really well put together film. But, um, anyway, and I'm sure that we're missing a lot of, a lot yeah, of, we'll uh, leave it in the comments. That's yeah. what it's for. And also I'm sure people probably have a, an issue with 
atonement or children of men or, or like those long takes not working for me. Um, and I wish yeah. I could say wh- definitively why it doesn't work for me, for me, but I guess that's what, what makes it a, uh, to use the term again, a, a picadillo is that I can't really put my finger on why one works and one doesn't. Yeah. Um, except that it, it yeah. that's just how it works out. So how did we not talk about Gus Van Sant at all? Elephant shit, right? Yeah, I mean their entire yeah their entire last days. I did, yeah, and that one, yeah, it's it it fits into this as well. And there's, I guess that that fits into this other element. And I know that we we do need to end, but you know, there can there can be a dreamlike quality to this stuff as well, where you know, partially because even though our lives are lived in long takes, (laughs) movies are there's cuts in movies and that's what we're used to. So if something is not, and there's just this flowing yeah. and, and sort of a, uh, uh, Oh, I can't think of the, uh, of the word, but, um, there's this fluidity to it. Yeah. Suddenly it can seem very surreal and very strange and hazy and dreamlike. Well, there are cuts in real life. It's called blinking. And we will talk about that more when we do our Walter merch episode. <laughs> oh, indeed. Oh, absolutely. In, in the meantime, in a few years, I guess. Yeah, between yeah, once we get tired of each other. I remember when we started this podcast in early 2007. Mm. I remember saying, "Hey, if we're still doing this in 2009, we should do a Matrix 10 year anniversary episode." Which a we never did, yeah. and b we said we're not going to be doing this in two years. <laughs> did we say that? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and uh, here it is. Almost nine years later. Here's what we should do. It'll be nine years in March. That is true. Oh boy. Yeah. If we keep hanging on, we can do the matrix 20 year, uh, episode. <laughs> wow. At this point, I have I I I, no reason to ever stop doing this. I know I shouldn't be depressed. I, I shouldn't be depressed by that. No, this show is like, like it's opened it's, up so many doors for us and like made so many things possible. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And we've gotten to meet a lot of people and, uh, including listeners and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun, but it's weird to, to think back on, on what I thought my life was going to be when we started <laughs> the show. Yeah. Well, let's right. not spend too much time dwelling on that. Indeed. Um, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can uh, find this episode, all the other episodes of all the other podcasts. Uh, it's where you can comment. Uh, you can tell us what your favorite long takes are. You can tell us uh, what movie wonderful what we can do nowadays is from um, <laughs> you. No, you got to email that to get your, uh, uh, your attaboy. I'm going to keep saying attaboy. Um, you can email us at David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com or both. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Uh, now you have another podcast. You have a couple other podcasts. Indeed, uh, one is where you and uh, your wife uh, Jenny talk about Survivor. Yep, and that's what we do this week. All right, and what's going on over at More Than One Lesson? Uh, we let's see. We're continuing our our best of pictures. We've done that for a couple of uh, a couple weeks. So last week we talked about Godfather Part Two, and this week we talk about The Sting, which is always fun to talk about. Yes, my mom's favorite movie. Um, I don't think I knew that. I knew. I think you're. I remember you mentioning that she liked it a lot, but I didn't know it was her favorite movie. That's great. uh, I don't know anybody that doesn't like The Sting. Yeah, you'd have to be an idiot. You'd have to Um, be uh, just a complete fucking asshole (laughs) to not like The Sting. My other podcast is about television. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. You can find it at BattleshipRetention.com. you can find more than one lesson at more than one lesson.com. I yes. don't know if you said that. Um, this week on Hey, Watch This, we are talking about Adventure Time. And we are talking about Superstore, which is a uh, new sitcom that I knew nothing about, 
but has a really good cast. I saw an ad for it recently. It's a good cast. It also takes place in St. Louis, apparently. Oh, well, well. So that's something uh, that I need to keep an eye on. Because mm-hmm. there are not a lot of sitcoms that take place in St. Louis. I'm not going to say what some of the ones are because it might be my trivia question this week on Hey, Watch okay. This. Um, so, yeah, that's that. You can find us all those places. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 